are listening to the Good Shepherd Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Our mission at Good Shepherd is to proclaim the gospel so that all people will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. One of the main ways we believe that we are accomplishing our mission is through the proclaimed word. We believe that the preached word creates and sustains the church. Our desire is to preach Christ crucified for you, which means we hope that Jesus is the substance and hero of every sermon and that Jesus is preached into the places of sin and brokenness into our hearts. We thank you for joining us and hope that you will believe, grow, and hope in Jesus. You may be seated. You can turn to Acts 21. Fired up about tonight's passage. Um, I, I feel like I'm fired up about everyone. I, I joke because, like, those of you that know my dad, he, you know, he's he's a pastor as well, and we always joke in our family because before my dad ever preaches any sermon, he tell he preaches that sermon to us throughout the week. So that's it's a running joke in our in our in our family that like dad's always itching to preach a, a sermon, and it's always good news to our souls if we slow down and. Uh, remember, he's just passionate. He's fired up. And I, I'm fired up. I'm fired up about, about tonight's passage. Um, I'm fired up for us. Uh, I feel like the last three or four weeks has just been a timely word from the Savior. They're all timely words, but I felt like it was like Jesus was looking at us in the eyes as Good Shepherd Bible Church and saying, Church, this is for you, like in a very direct way. I felt that. I hope you've been able to, to sense that as well. God leading us through the word this way. We're going to read Acts 21, 1 through 16 tonight, make our way a good portion of the way through Acts 21. When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. We had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left. We sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there was a ship ready to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, but they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing, uh, bring, bringing us to the house of Menanson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Last week, we looked hard into Paul's last will and testament to a church that he loved and to a group of people that he loved and wanted to see the love of Jesus continue through their ministry, the Ephesian elders. And he said some pretty uh, sh- shocking things, some, some things that would really be meaningful. It's almost of, I mentioned the fact that it's almost like a, a different language being spoken because of the sobriety or the seriousness of Paul's tone and his message to them. But we see really in last week's passage that the grace of Jesus is able to carry us and to carry Paul throughout every aspect of his ministry. In fact, if you go back to verse 32 of chapter 20, you can see where Paul leaves them or what he kind of leaves them with that they can hang their hat on. And he says in verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's almost like we just read that Hebrews 11 passage, all those who are sanctified, who are already in heaven. How do you get there? That's the question. How do you get to that point where you're in the heavenly land, where tears are no more and sin and death are no more? Well, Paul leaves them with the word of grace, Jesus himself. I leave you with the gospel and nothing else. And as we looked at last week, we saw that this was sufficient for all of the ministry. This is what carries you on. And this is found in Paul's language that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, full and final salvation. But because of God's grace, we learned this last week, we have all that we need. We need nothing more than what we've already been given in Jesus. And as we lean into this message of grace, what we begin to see is that grace then motivates the life of the church, motivates the mission of the church. And this is seen in the following verses in 34 and 35, where he says, um, uh, you yourselves know how these hands ministered to my necessities to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We, the church, are happiest when our hands find themselves full and then we spend our full-handed stuff on other people. That is the happiness of the church. That's the blessedness of the church. When the church receives grace, it then takes the grace that we've been given freely and then finds people in need to hand it to. And so that is the blessed, that's the, that's the sweet spot of the church. You're going to find yourself running, like running in the, in the greatest spot possible when you're operating, receiving God's grace and then living and giving out his grace. And yet, it won't change in any way, shape, or form the realities of the church's suffering. In no, in no way 
in living that way, living receiving by grace and then giving out grace, that, is, that does not decrease suffering. In actuality, that actually increases suffering. And Paul knew this all too well. That life is the sweet spot of the church, yet that doesn't mean that right here and now we are going to be free from the burden of suffering, of pain, of hardship, of death. In fact, you might see that all the more in the Christian life and experience. One of the main things that grace causes you to do, it causes you to be honest about your pain. causes you to actually name pain and call it what it is. It's a beautiful thing. The hardships of ministry force us back on the grace of Jesus, though. And that's their design. The struggle and the suffering of the church forces us back into the grace which is our only hope. The Spirit is happy to take the things that prop up the life of the church that don't save, that don't bring blessedness, and knock those props right out out from underneath the church's feet. The Savior would have you operate in the blessedness of his grace only. And so to do that, he has to strip our own self away and strip control away and actually cause us to embrace the pain that we, even in our sin, have brought ourselves to in the pain of this world. The promises of God are to be embraced through the means of the cross, through means of suffering. As has already been prayed, the Christian life is not a cloud of like a a pillowed cloud where we just simply rise up to glory. The, The avenue of the Christian life is actually the path of our Savior, the path of the cross. The way to embrace Jesus's promise is to embrace it with a cross on our back. And don't be surprised when in your suffering you are truly blessed. This is the work of the Spirit in our heart. This is what he does. Living on gospel mission is still really hard, but as we saw last week, it is the best thing in the entire world. Still hard, really hard. But it's where we find our blessed hope. It's the avenue of which we actually lay a hold of the promises of Jesus functionally. So tonight, tonight we're going to look at this passage here, and it's a, it's, a, it's a fun one tonight. There's some cool things up the sleeve here of Luke, but uh, I'm really pumped to, to look at this. Because of our hope in Jesus, we can experience deep fellowship in gospel mission to the end. And boy, I'm, we cannot find the clicker, so this is not on me at this point. Ethan, we'll give the click, clicky noise. Clicky noise. Because of our hope in Jesus, even in the middle of hardship of, of suffering, the, the hardship of ministry, of ministry, what we face here and now, because of our hope in Jesus, we can experience deep fellowship with God and with one another as we go about our gospel mission and as we persevere to the end. So we have two things we're looking at here tonight. We're looking at how deep is the fellowship that we can enjoy with one another and with Jesus in our, in our suffering? How deep is that fellowship? And then how does it cause us to endure in hope? How does it actually cause us not to quit, but to push on in hope? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Man, it has me excited because that's what my soul needs. I long for deeper fellowship with you, but also with the Lord. 
The more I get to know him, the more I want to know more. It's the same with you guys in the church. But also, I need the strength to keep going. You need the strength to keep going. And there's much hope in this passage. Let's look at number one. Gospel mission, which is still hard. Gospel mission, which is still very tough. It's hard work. It's laborious work. It's painful work. It produces, though, the deepest kinds of fellowship. The deepest kinds of fellowship. Look what he says in in verse 1. When we had parted from them, we set sail. Now, I don't know which, uh, most of you, uh, probably the majority of you, have the English Standard Version in in your hands uh, tonight. Uh, Does anybody else have anything different? I'd be actually curious to know. Quentin, can you read that first little line of, what do you have, by the way? CSB, can you read the first little bit there in verse 1? No, just a little bit. 1A. All right. So we have a little bit different language there. This is, this is, ESV is very plain language here. It's not a bad translation. I actually prefer what this ESV does there. When we tore ourselves apart from, from them, yeah. tore ourselves, that's, that's a little bit, whoa, what, hap- what happened there, right? But you can kind of see it in verse 1 in the ESV. When we had parted with them, when we had torn apart from them, that's the idea. Well, what, why would they be tearing themselves apart? We'll go back to verse 37 and 38 of chapter 20. Paul was telling them he was going to leave. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced and kissed Paul. I mean, this was, this was a scene on there on the beach, weeping and hugging and being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that he, they would not see his face again. This was the last time they were going to see Paul. And they were hugging. They were kissing and they were weeping. And Paul literally said, I had to tear myself away from them. You can imagine even like hearing the tear of his heart in his voice as, as Luke describes this. I've, I've got to go. I've got to go. All right. And you guys, you guys know this is true. Whenever you see family and it's like you haven't seen them in a long time and you know you're not going to see them a while, you, you know how that is. The hugs slow down, right? And you grab each other's hands, and that's the last thing, and you kind of have to rip each other's hands out because you're so just bound together in love for one another. You don't want to leave people's presence. Ministry in the gospel, which is really tough, really hard, produces the deepest bond of Christian fellowship on this planet to the point where saying goodbye is really hard, and you weep, and you hug and it feels like your heart's being torn apart as you tear apart people's hands. Can't tell you how many times I've been in this place. I remember, um, speaking of Todd and Carissa, when Todd first told me that he was pursuing going to France, and he told me in a way where it was like, like, this, like it was like the Spirit of God like, made it very clear that this was their next step. We didn't know how, didn't know where, didn't know when, but they were going. And I was at a conference with him, uh, Gospel Coalition conference with him, and I got a chance to, to stand. He had just told us of all that was going on, and my heart was just mixed and full. As a brother, I wanted to see them go, but as a brother, I wanted to see them stay and, and come home, you know, stay home, if, as it were, and be with the family. And they had been in 
our life for a year at that point, and it was, it was, it was really tough to hear that they were going to go. And I was at this conference with them, and I got to stand by him, and we were singing uh, Martin Luther's text, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. One of my favorite songs of all time. At the very end, you know, the last, the last chorus or the last uh, verse uh, says, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. And I was standing there right next to him. I just I put my arm around him. I just remember singing that, like, cry my eyes out like a little baby because I, I just, like, this is, this is a functional thing. Like, let, let the people that you love, let them go. Some of you know that pain. Some of you have brothers and sisters around the world that you love deeply and you may never see their face again or have the same kind of life operation that you used to have and life is different and it won't change until we all meet again on heaven's shore. Some of you know that through the pain of death. I got to sit beside the bed of a saint that I've known for for a while who's uh, in the hospital, probably not going to come out. I told him, if he's here next week, I'll still, I'll still be visiting. But it was, I mean, I left, and I grabbed him by the hand, and we were praying, and I, remember I was thinking through this passage as I let go of his hand. It's just, it's hard to let go. Only the gospel can do that kind of deep fellowship where you're like, there's hope, you'll see them again, but you know that right here, right now, you've got to let go. You've got to let go. We'll see him again. But right now, it feels like your heart's being torn in two. Saying goodbye forever is really, really tough in the life of the Christian, but we know that this kind of forever goodbye isn't really forever. There's going to be a forever hello that we will engage in in eternity when we wait for that day. But we can see that this deep fellowship of the gospel includes a deep love, a deep love, a brotherly love kind of love that really I don't, I don't know is in the heart of this world. And sure, we have the family love, but a spiritual love like this, a spiritual bond, where there's no other connection save the cross of Jesus. It's a powerful bond. This deep fellowship includes a deep love, but also we can see that it includes the whole family. It includes the whole family. We see this in verses 5 and 6. But I'm going to go ahead and, I'm going to go ahead and read, but because there, there's some traveling that goes on in verse 2. Having found a ship, they, they crossed to Phoenicia, went aboard and set sail, and they'd come in sight of Cyprus, but they left that and sailed on to Syria because the boat had to unload some cargo. And they sought out some of the disciples, and they stayed there for a week, seven days. Through the Spirit, they were telling them some things that were really confusing. We'll get to that point. When our days there had ended, we departed and went on in our journey. And this is interesting. They all, with their wives and their children accompanied us until we were outside the city. Notice that it only took a a week for this kind of bond to develop. Only took a week for that Christian bond of fellowship to enrapture each other's hearts together and knit each other's hearts together in the bond of Christian love and mission. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, we got to bring our children. We got to bring our wives. It includes the whole family. I praise God that I had a, an amazing opportunity throughout my life to have a front row seat to this kind of missionality. And my parents, by God's grace, were very faithful at making sure that we had a front row seat to this kind of goodbye attitude of, of missionalness. I, I pray that for my kids. I know it's going to mean my kids are going to have more tears and not less tears. 
They're going to have some friends that are not here present with them, shaping their life and filling their life, but they're going to be away. and We're going to be praying for them from, from a distance. But that is a hope that, that this world can't offer them. This world can't offer my children an eternal hope of an eternal day where they're gathered together with their friends forever. But for now, we can say goodbye knowing that Jesus holds them. Jesus is with them, and it's okay. They're going to minister and give. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Watching my kids engage with that. I want that for my children. I want that for the children here at Good Shepherd Bible Church. I want them to have friends here, and then say, like, my friends are going away. Where are they going? Well, they're, they're planting a church somewhere else. I, I want that for our kids. I want that for our wives and for our families. I want for couples to feel like, man, we are losing good friends. Why? For the sake of kingdom mission. It's okay because we will lean on Jesus that much more. Without friends, I get to lean on Jesus that much more and not rely on any sort of idolatry that would come from a great relationship. I get to have Jesus. It's going to be okay. But also for this short little time, I get to be filled with the hope of an eternal day because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I want that for us. I want it to include the whole family, not just my family, but for the whole church family as well. I would love for one day our church to stand on shores and say goodbye to saints with all of our families there. The gospel does that. The gospel also includes hospitality both in the heart and in the home. Deep fellowship includes hospitality in the heart and in the home. We see this in verse 7 through 10. When we had finished that voyage, and by the way, verse 6, I, I, love, I love the little phrase that Luke says at the very end. They, uh, then we went on board the ship, but they, the family, they returned home. God had something for us to do, but God sent the family back home because God had something for them to do too. Staying's okay too. Staying where God has placed us and ministering where God has placed us. Yeah, be faithful there too. Don't forget. Those of us who stay, we, we have mission here. We're not done. I love that. All right, back to verse 7 and 8. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. It's almost like some random dudes just put them up for one day and just said, hey, we know you. We know who you are. We know what you're doing. You can stay at my house. We greeted the brothers and stayed with them. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So they got to engage with those brothers and sisters there with all their gifts and all of the things that God's doing in their life and in their heart. This ministry of opening our houses and opening our hearts and uh, opening up the things that we have in, in our gift bank up to other people, it's a huge blessing to pilgrims on the way. It's a huge blessing just to share in that fellowship along the way. Deep Fellowship in the gospel includes that kind of uh, heart hospitality and home hospitality. And you can see that in the, if you go to uh, verse 15 and 16, same idea. After those days, we got ready and went to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Menanson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Forget hotels, man. We're staying with the saints. And the saints open their home. Whatever it takes, have it, eat it. My home is your home. This is just en route. We're all en route here. So it's this beautiful, deep hospitality in the heart, 
this openness towards those of, uh, of the family of God and, and openness of the home. I've already seen this at work in the life of our church, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So that means we have to put up with inconvenience, and I'm out of my bed for a little while, I'm sleeping on the couch, or I'm sleeping on the floor, or our kids have a, a giant, you know, you know, sleep room downstairs in the basement. That's fine. No big deal. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Saints are on the way. How can we make the mission of God go forward? Gospel mission opens our hearts and our doors to one another. And we don't have to just be in a missional sense on the way. We can actually be engaged in missional life here, and yet our hearts need to be open and our doors need to be open towards one another. Why? Because we are all saints on the way, even if we're staying put. There's things our, our God's called us to be doing. You know what? Some people just need a couch to sit on. I enjoyed that fellowship last night with some of you. It was beautiful just to sit and chat. We didn't talk about anything like grandiose or specific, but it just the fellowship of the saints in the room was enough to warm the heart, to encourage me on the way. It's beautiful. One of the graces of gospel ministry is God's provision of deep fellowship. One of the things that God said that he would give us is a deep fellowship with one another. That's a gospel grace, something that Today, when I woke up, because of my sin, I did not deserve, but yet I have with many of you and with many people across this world who are brothers and sisters as well. A deep, deep fellowship where it's really hard to say goodbye. And I've had some sweet time in their homes. Some of you are looking for that kind of deep friendship and community. For some of you, you're longing for that. You're saying, that's what I want. That's what I desire. Could it be that God wants you to simply be about his kingdom first? Could it be that God's actually, actually asking you simply just to be engaged in kingdom work, knowing that the grace he's already provided to you will come as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? All these other things will be added to you. The, the deep fellowship of the saints is already a grace built into salvation. It's there. Maybe you're just putting the cart before the horse. Get busy about kingdom work. Find, find the blessedness of giving and not receiving. And you know what? I promise you'll find saints along the way and you'll be on board with them and your hearts will connect. Seek first the kingdom of God and I promise you there is deep fellowship both with God and with others tacked in. I wonder if some of you would put that promise of God to the test, if you will. I'm not even sure that we're supposed to do that. It's real. I'm not supposed to put the Lord to the test, but bank on it and say, God, you have know, been idolizing friendship and community and I've been going about it all the wrong way. I'm going to be busy about the things that you've called me to do. I'm going to be about gospel ministry first. I'm going to pray that in your provision, in your grace, that you've already provided fellowship with the body of Christ, that you're going to bring about this deep-rooted fellowship. But gospel mission, which is very hard, produces this kind of fellowship. It makes the relationships sweeter, makes love flow better, makes hospitality flourish, and it includes every single person in your family. Second thing, gospel mission produces enduring hope. Gospel mission produces enduring hope all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Sometimes, even the fellowship loses its focus, doesn't it? 
sometimes even the, the fellowship that God has given us here. It's easy for all of us, maybe even collectively, or even a subset of us to lose our way, to be about other things and not the gospel, to be about other things and not about the kingdom mission that God has given us as a church. It's easy. It's, it's almost like a second nature for us to go about doing other things and not keep focus on the gospel. My friends, this passage helps us to understand that fellowship is a gift, but it's no man's savior. Fellowship is a gift, but it's no man's savior. Because guess what? We're going to see in this passage the church losing sight of its gospel mission. Paul actually has to do some correction here. Paul actually has to circle the wagons a little bit and say, fellowship, don't, don't lose sight of the ultimate hope. And he has to circle the wagons in a way that actually may cast a little shade on the church community there, but it pushes them back into not, the commu- not, not in the hope of everything's going to be all right here and now. Because again, fellowship is great. Fellowship is sweet. But even the fellowship may be hard. Even the fellowship might have things tucked into it that make it really challenging and maybe not fulfilling. That's because fellowship was never the fellowship. The church itself was never designed to be a savior for you. It was actually supposed to keep pointing you to the savior. And we see this here in verse 3 and 4. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left side, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, and there was a ship to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. This is an interesting phrase and maybe a little bit of a conundrum. If you go back to verse 22 of chapter 20, you'll see something pretty, uh, maybe you remember this from the reading. Um, you can see this pretty clearly from Paul. Now behold, he tells them, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul had some sort of vision or some sort of communication or inspiration from the Spirit that allowed him to embrace the reality that though he doesn't have the full picture, what he does have clarity on is that there is suffering awaiting him in Jerusalem and that he is constrained by the Spirit to be going. To disobey this would be to disobey the Spirit. To not end up in Jerusalem would be disobedience for Paul at this point because of what he had heard. But now we get in our passage here, we get the sweet fellowship of the saints. They're all on board with one another, and yet these disciples are somehow, they're getting a vision in some way by the Spirit, and now they're telling Paul, hey, we heard from the Spirit, and now we don't want you to go. It's this battle of spiritual visions, if you will. Well, whose who's Holy Spirit is right? All right, it might take a little bit of explanation to figure this out. It's a little tricky. But I think actually there's a, uh, a, a solution that makes a lot of sense. In verse 3 and 4, we're not really told exactly what the spirit inspiration or the spirit vision is from these disciples. You just have, having sought out, uh, excuse me, having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days and through some sort of unction or some sort of impulse by the Holy Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. 
This is a little bit clarified in verses 8 through 12. On the next day, they came and departed and went to Caesarea. They entered Philip, the evangelist. One of the seven stayed with him, and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And that's a little interesting inclusion there by Luke, including maybe there was something in in this little circle of believers that included a heavy gift of prophecy. We're not exactly sure. It's not totally clear, but I find it a little interesting that Luke includes these little details about four daughters unmarried who also prophesied as well. And then you have Agabus, who comes down from Judea, who we've heard, before, heard from before in the New Testament church. And he comes and he takes Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet, like kind of like a rotisserie pig of some sort, and says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. That's the vision that Agabus has and seems to be in step with the vision that Paul has and may be an indication to that's the same vision the disciples had. It seems to me that in one sense, this was all the same uh, spiritual vision or inspiration but they just had two different uh, unctions personally about it. It's like the Spirit told Paul, the Spirit told the disciples, and then the Spirit told Agabus, if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer. And that, that seems to be the vision. And Paul said, I'm all in. And he raises his hands and says, let's go. And the disciples are raising their hands and they're saying, Paul, you should stay. We're concerned about your safety. We're concerned about you. We love you. Really, the clearer vision comes from Paul when he says, I am constrained by the Spirit to go. I cannot disobey the word of the Spirit. And the disciples didn't have that unction, seemingly. The disciples didn't have that unction, and Agabus didn't have that unction that Paul had to stay. It seems like they just derived that or concluded that from the vision of suffering that lay ahead of him. Does that make sense? that clear as mud? That's a little, whew. All had the same vision. They just had different conclusions about it. And Paul had the ultimate vision constrained by the Spirit. He needed to go and obey. And the people couldn't necessarily see that. This makes sense in verse 23 of chapter 20. If you go back there, he says, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value or precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus. Paul saw this as a direct call and mission by the Lord Jesus himself through the Spirit to go and die for the sake of the gospel. Of course, that rubs our own humanity the wrong way. As people deep in fellowship with one another, it is hard to say goodbye. It is hard to sign your life away on a death wish in that way. But my friends, this passage actually reflects in a profound way the very life of the Savior who too set his face. This comes from Luke 9. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, Luke points out. It was was a divine call from the Father to set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus signed away his own life, had already been granted the death wish already because of the will of the Father. 
It's like what Jesus says. He began to show his disciples that he must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. These are things that must take place from the gospel account. And Peter took him aside saying, far be it from you, Lord. That can't happen to you. You're too important. It's like Jesus understood the mission. Jesus understood the significance. Jesus had to go. There's no option. There's no choice. This is the mission to which he was sent, to give up his life so that other people might have. There is no good news apart from me giving my life for you, the sinner. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you, Peter says. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And you can imagine Paul kind of looking with that same kind of intense reality to people that he loves and that he's all in with with fellowship and saying, guys, don't you understand to functionally live out this reality of the words of Jesus? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You have to be willing to sign your life away. Just, we, we follow in Jesus's footsteps. Where do we follow him? We take up our own cross daily and we follow him in death. So why would anybody do that? So that we might embrace the only good news we have, that there is a resurrection on the flip side of our death. That is the only hope we have. It's the hope that carried Jesus to the cross to the end. It's the hope that carried Paul to Jerusalem to the end. And it is the same hope that in a thousand different circumstances in your life, Jesus will lead you to die to yourself daily to the end of all time so that you might embrace life in Jesus alone. And gospel ministry does that. Gospel mission produces in us this enduring hope to the end. As we are faithful to the task of signing our life away so that others might hear the gospel It produces in us the reality of the only eternal hope that truly saves. When you lose sight of our hope in the gospel, we will lose sight of our mission. When we lose sight of the scope of God's mission, again, from death to life, when we lose sight of that, when it becomes about anything else, If in any way we are trying to preserve our life, we will lose it. But instead, if we are willing to sign our life away and embrace the reality that in order to embrace the hope of resurrection, you must have died first. In order to embrace that, we have got to stick with the hope of the gospel. If we don't do that, we will lose our mission altogether. It'll, it'll, we'll lose our mission altogether. It'll just become about getting better. It'll becoming about our greatest life now. It'll be about moralizing ourselves to death or a cultural Christianity. And my friends, it, that's, that won't save. That won't save. On the flip side of my brother who may not make it even past tonight, I'm, for, all, for all that I know, that won't save his soul on the flip side of, of facing eternity. What will is him being able to sign his soul away to the one who died in his place so that he, just as Jesus was raised, might raise to life eternal in the age to come. 
My friends, beware, beware of the idols of safety and security and comfort. Beware of those idols. They are idols that cannot save. They're idols that even the early church had a slight hankering for. And we see that. Paul, don't go. You will die. And Paul's like, of course I'm going to die. Like, that's the point. That's where I'm headed. I wanted to read for you, uh, women, go, go to the conference. It's amazing. Go, go to the conference. Nikki has this. She's going to preach from it. It's going to be fire. It's going to be straight fire. Can't wait to hear about it. Let me just read for you this passage in 2 Corinthians 1. Listen to Paul's words. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt as though we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. That's, that's Paul's own testimony of his own suffering on the way in mission. It's like we, we signed our life away, and he said, and it was great. You want to know why? Because we put our hope on the one who raises the dead, and it caused us to endure in our mission to the end. We stayed on track because we realized and we set our hope on God raises dead. God raises dead. He raises the dead. And in the same way, my friends, we give ourselves to the gospel mission, no matter what it is, no matter how far it takes us, no matter where that cross on that hill lies, we go. And my friends, we know that this is the path of the Savior. I want to read from you this. It's like me and Quentin work together. I promise this is not what happened. I want to read from you Hebrews 12. Let's finish out, let's finish out Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of God. Let us with eyes towards Jesus who is ascended and seated. The work is totally done. The work is totally finished. There's nothing more for us to add. It's just for us to share. Let us with eyes of faith look to him and endure to the end, even if it kills us. My friend, that's the, that's the only hope we have. And you say gospel mission hurts. I know, I know. And I find myself whiffling and waffling a lot of times too. That's why we need each other. We need that deep fellowship to keep pushing us on in the race that God has sent before us as hard as it is. So let's be brave. Let's be courageous. Let's step out in ways that we don't think is even sane. Why? Because like Paul, it might actually cast us onto the only hope we have. See, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go talk to that neighbor about the gospel. God's given me an inroad. I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna I'm just going to send them an email, say, I'd like to meet with you. I'd love to tell you about Jesus. I know that feels forward. I'd love to share with you the reality of this death and life ministry that we've been given. Can I share with you? I, I, it's good for my soul. I want you to know about this. That's bold and courageous. That's gutsy. 
Maybe some, of, maybe some in this room, God's calling you to go. Maybe God already has plans to rip our hearts apart and rip our hands apart, and we're going to send you out. Okay. But do you realize how that would push you and us into the hope of the only hope we have, that God raises dead? And my friends, that would be wonderful. It would be hard, but it would be wonderful. So what is God doing? Because of the eternal fellowship, uh, because of Jesus, we have eternal fellowship with God and with others. And my friends, we ought to enjoy that. Not idolize it, but we ought to enjoy that with one another. We ought to embrace the deep relationships that we have here. But we also be willing to let them go. Because of this deep fellowship, we can endure and we can be about the mission God has given us to the end. And it's all going to be okay. So what's God calling you to do? Where is he calling you to go? What people is he moving you towards? And let's be about it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you that in a lot of ways you've, you've built in hope to the very thing that we're supposed to be about, the thing that we are about. You've called us to this missionary endeavor to make the gospel known, and it is through the pain and the hardship of that mission that we are actually able to have the hope of Jesus clarified in our own hearts. And Father, the amazing thing is, it's going to keep, keep us going until the end. It's going to keep moving us and, and making us move away and, and making us go in hope to the end. And we're going to do it with joy deep down in our heart because of what Jesus has done for us. And sure, Father, we're going to be fighting back tears. It's going to be hard. I'm sure there are going to be days when we want to quit. But we have this deep fellowship with you and you're not going to let us go and you're going to hug us and remind us of the wonderful news of the Savior and then we have brothers and sisters around us who are going to pick us up and encourage us and keep us going and not distract us, but keep us about the main thing. Father, what an amazing gift you've given to us here in the life of the church that really is all because of the head of the church, Jesus himself. So Father, move us. Make us uncomfortable. Send us, send us out. But no matter what, give us the hope of Jesus or nothing else. We pray these things through him. Amen. Salvation, come on to me, you hear.